This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, Weekend Warriors of Michigan Politics and Government. Things are happening so fast, I cannot keep track of them. Let's see. Where are we? Well, here in Michigan, the Republican-led House and Senate are nearing an agreement on a less than $300 million supplemental appropriation providing help to small businesses shut down from COVID-19 and employees who have been unemployed because of it. They're not going to wait for help from Congress, although they will welcome it when they get it. Roughly half the amount, this $300 million, will go toward laying the groundwork for vaccine distribution and providing additional funding for another COVID-related activities, with the rest going toward providing assistance for workers and small businesses. Originally, the Senate had attempted to negotiate with Governor Gretchen Whitmer on the supplemental to get specific legislation involving the power struggle between the executive and legislative branches passed. But after the leadership of the Senate, that would mean Majority Leader Mike Shirky, realized that the governor probably would say no and criticize the Senate for not passing emergency money, that idea was scrapped. This will probably all get done finally Monday, December 21st, we can hope. Now, looking farther ahead, we have, believe it or not, a poll on the top 2022 election race here in Michigan, which would be for governor. If Macomb County Public Works Commissioner Candace Miller were to be the Republicans' 2022 gubernatorial nominee, an early survey from Deno Research shows a competitive race. Among the 600 Michigan voters asked this past Monday and Tuesday, incumbent Governor Gretchen Whitmer led Miller, a former Secretary of State and member of Congress, 45.5% to nearly 42% within the polls, plus or minus 4% margin of error. The remaining 12.7% were not sure or were undecided or offered different answers. Of those responding, 42.2% said Michigan is headed in the right direction. 40.8%, just slightly less, said the state was going in the wrong direction, and the remaining 17% were undecided. The sample included 75.7% white voters, 11.5% black voters, nearly 2% Hispanic voters, and the rest offering something else or not offering anything. Now, Dennis Denno, who's president of Denno Research, said this, quote, if Republicans can talk Candace Miller into the race and she can clear the primary field, 
the 2022 race for Michigan governor could be one of the hottest gubernatorial races in the country. It will be a race of two women with strong name ID battling in every corner of Michigan for every single vote they can find, unquote. Now, Miller, who is 66 years old at this point, she's been around quite a while, has been mentioned as a potential gubernatorial candidate in nearly every election since 2002, the year after Republican legislators basically constructed a congressional seat for her, the old 10th district that included the more Republican northern half of Macomb County and prime Republican territory in St. Clair County in the Thumb region. Miller left Congress four years ago to take out Macomb County Public Works Commissioner Tony Morocco, whose ethics were openly questioned by the Macomb County executive of the same party. That would be Mark Hackle. The move also showed that, or excuse me, it allowed Miller back in 2016 to be closer to her ailing husband, former Judge Don Miller, who unfortunately passed away in January 2019. Finally, is it over yet? The presidential election, I mean. Well, maybe not, because the Trump campaign is still involved in ongoing lawsuits claiming that the Electoral College is just one step in the constitutional process leading to January 20th. The casting of 306 Electoral College votes for Joe Biden on Monday of this next week has been widely regarded as the end of President Trump's challenges to the outcome of the 2020 election. But the Trump campaign says the Republican slate of electors that cast votes in seven battleground states where Joe Biden won the popular vote could come into play when Congress certifies the electors on January 6th. Critics argue the Republican electors have no legal status because they were not designated by any state official. And under federal law, in case of a tie between the two chambers of Congress, the slates sent by the governors prevail. Vice President Mike Pence has a role in this. In fact, he counts the votes. Under the Constitution's 12th Amendment, if no candidate has a majority of Electoral College votes, the House would select the next president and the Senate would pick the vice president. In the House, each state delegation would have one vote. The Republicans, in that respect, have a 29 to 23 advantage among the states in the U.S. House of Representatives. One Alabama congressman is trying to build support for a challenge when the votes are read January 6th. This congressman claims that, and I'm going to quote here, the House of Representatives, in combination with the United States Senate, has the lawful authority to accept or reject electoral college vote submissions from states that have such flawed election systems that they're not worthy of our trust, unquote. The congressman, who, by the way, is named Mo Brooks, says he's confident that if only lawful votes in the November 3rd election are counted, 
Trump would win the Electoral College. And Brooks says, quote, we should not be counting illegal votes and putting in an illegitimate president of the United States, unquote. To mount a challenge in Congress, Brooks would also need a senator to object. The New York reported that Senators Ron Johnson, who's a Republican from Wisconsin, and Rand Paul, a Republican from Kentucky, have indicated they would be open to objecting. However, there appears to be no support from Republican leadership in the Senate, according to the Michigan Information Research Service, MERS, as it's called. Senator John Cornyn, Republican of Texas, told Newsweek magazine, quote, it's a pretty wild idea, unquote. And Senator Mike Rounds, a Republican of South Dakota, former governor, said, quote, it doesn't sound to me like that would add any credibility to our electoral process, unquote. On Tuesday morning, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell declared, quote, the Electoral College has spoken, unquote, saying that he wanted to, quote, congratulate President-elect Joe Biden, unquote, and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Nevertheless, on Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, the Senate Committee on Homeland Security will hold a hearing to examine irregularities. In other words, folks, it ain't over till it's over. But we're inching ever so slowly toward a final resolution that is likely to wind up with Joe Biden as president of the United States. That's all for this segment, but stay tuned because we got some interesting guests coming up. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. As promised, we have returned, and we have on the line with us T.C. Clements. And Good morning, Bill. Yes, welcome to you, because you are the elected new state representative for the 50th House District. Uh, you are a Republican from Bedford Township. Uh, the 50th District, if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me, uh, includes Lunapier, Milan, Petersburg, all are part of 10 townships in Monroe County, just north of Toledo, right? That is correct. We have half of Milan, but to my uh, peer in the 50th District, this is the 56th. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, 56. I'm sorry. I got the number <laughs> wrong. But Listen, uh, I always say, Bill, as long as you don't call me late to dinner, everything's good. <laughs> well, listen, not only that, but you, I notice, are from Bedford Township. And, I mean, somewhere in that vicinity must be Temperance Bedford High School, the home of the kicking mules. Is that correct? The very angry mules. Yes, sir. You could, uh, two good drives and you would land in the stadium from my home. Well, you know, honestly, Kicking Mules, that's a great name. It's unique. I mean, honestly, I've never heard of another school anywhere that has that as a mascot. And, you know, the Washington football team and the NFL, they're looking for a new name. The Cleveland Indians are soon going to be looking for a new name. Why not Kicking Mules? Hey, listen, it should rank right up there with a bunch of others. Absolutely. And, And you're famous for your wrestling teams down there, high school wrestling teams. You won a flock of state titles in the past. Uh, I don't know if you're as strong now as you were, but the Kicking Mules is an appropriate title for that wrestling team. 
I'll tell you what, they, they've always been tough and continue to be tough. Um, what's interesting is that in addition to Bedford having exceptional, you know, athletic programs, two years ago, if, if I remember correctly, Bedford holds the distinction of being the first team to send, or the, excuse me, the first community under 50,000 people to send two teams to the international robotics competition. So not only do we excel in athletics, but we tend to do pretty well over in uh, STEM courses as well. Amazing. Really amazing. Well, now look, you ran in an open district because your predecessor, uh, Jason Shepard, was term limited. um, And you had some primary competition uh, in August. You won that. And then in November, you prevailed. Uh, Tell us a little bit about why you decided to run and what the campaign was like this year. Well, I was always raised that you have two choices in this world. You either do something about it or shut up. And so in 2016, which was my first uh, political run, I looked at some trustee candidates for our community. We're about 34,000 people. Bedford actually represents three small townships. And so I decided to toss my hat in the ring for a trustee. We ran. uh, We won and have thoroughly enjoyed the last four years helping out my neighbors and trying to set our community in a strong direction. Um, in a state where everybody talks about fixing the roads, we actually completed a seven-year road plan, and, and we did, in fact, fix the roads. Um, and so I just I have an interest uh, from that standpoint. Never really saw myself getting into politics. My background was in law enforcement, and so I've always had a real uh, desire to help people. Um, and so I think politics largely scratches that same itch of being able to be a voice for people who often feel like they don't have a voice, who maybe feel a little disfranchised from the system. Um, I like kind of advocating and, and giving people that opportunity to feel like they're important, relevant. So when the opportunity came up for the vacated state uh, rep seat, uh, my wife and I, we talked about it, prayed about it, uh, communicated with a number of friends and some um, other legislators that we know, obviously Jason uh, was paramount in the decision, and we tossed our hat in the ring. We uh, won in the primary, uh, receiving 74% of the vote, and then in the general, we outperformed kind of the, the benchmark or goal, if you will, and we achieved just over 64% of the vote. So we're very blessed. We had a lot of great support. We worked really hard. We were fortunate enough to have gotten started and really active pre-COVID, And I think that helped us quite a bit because we already had put down a a large foundation to uh, what was going to become a good campaign. When you say law enforcement was your background, what specifically? So I jokingly tell people that other than walk the dog or fly the helicopter, I've done about everything one can do within the world of law enforcement. Uh, I was patrol. I've been inside the traffic, investigations, school resource, uh, public information. And then I left my time in law enforcement as a deputy chief of police, so number two in command. Um, And so loved the career, enjoyed absolutely everything about it, Um, have just a real heart and a passion for all of those in emergency services um, who dedicate themselves to keep our community safe and uh, feel like public service as a elected official is, is largely an extension of that. You say you got 74% of the primary. That's pretty overwhelming against uh, a number of candidates. I'm not sure how many, but uh, what do you attribute your overwhelming win to? Uh, did you go door to door more than the other candidates? Did you spend the most money? Maybe both? What? I think it was it was absolutely both. Um, I, I think the real factor comes down to is I'm a small business owner and as a result of that business, have been 
all over our county in every group or setting or function you could imagine, from United Way events. I was a prior board of director for the Chamber of Commerce, board of director on Habitat for Humanity, board of director for a couple of business organizations. So I, I was was linked in to the uh, community fairly well. Um, and so that gave us a great kind of jumping off point, having known a number of people, having had those relationships in place for years. So it wasn't, you know, somebody coming out and wanting to run for office that was trying to not only establish what they believed in, but also who they are. Most people already were very familiar with my wife and I and our business. And so uh, that gave us a lot of uh, advance and, and kind of a head start, if you will. D.C. Clements, what did you encounter when you campaigned this year? Did you go door to door extensively? I mean, I talked to one uh, of your incoming colleagues, a uh, freshman from southwest Michigan, who claims that he knocked on 16,000 doors. Now, he had to do that probably more than you do because you had such a long experience in the district and in the county, and he was young and new and not as well-known as the other candidates, so he had to do that. But uh, how many doors did you knock on, and what was your experience meeting people at the door? What was their reaction to you? Well, I will tell you, we we didn't get anywhere near to 16,000 doors. We just knocked a few. You know, obviously COVID took away from a lot of that. And then given where we were in the race, we decided to go after some other tacks. So we were very aggressive in a digital space. Um, We co-opted the uh, kind of uh, campaign name of hashtag Team TC. And we just had a number of of teammates um, who were willing to just talk and, and be really active on our behalf. So it helped us a lot. What I heard mostly at doors when I was out there, not only for myself, but also knocking doors for some other district candidates, was people are largely still confused uh, by a lot of the policies that are in place as it relates to the pandemic and the response. Uh, there's, there's a lot of disconnect. People don't see the logic uh, connectivity between why you know business X is closed but Y remains open. And there just there was a growing sense of frustration, and I would say, you know, not each passing day, but certainly each passing week, that frustration grew and grew um, as people grew from frustrated, concerned to desperate, and and very worried about what their future looked like. Yeah, listen, honestly, I could go on talking with you extensively here. We're out of time for now, but I wish you luck in your coming career in the State House of Representatives from the 56th House District, T.C. Clements, a Republican from Bedford Township. Congratulations. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy holidays to you as well, Bill. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with another very interesting guest. He is Andrew Beeler. He is a Republican from Fort Gratiot, and he was just elected in an open seat district race uh, in the 83rd House District. Uh, And I believe that includes all of Sanilac County, which is one of the bigger counties in landmass in the state. And then it's got a piece going down uh, on the southeast corner of it into St. Clair County. I think it includes the city of Port Huron and two townships in St. Clair County. Is that correct, Andrew Beeler? You got it exactly right, Bill. 
Well, look, uh, you had four Republican opponents in the primary. Uh, boy, uh, that must have been tough. Uh, tell yeah. me, yeah, tell no, me. It, was a, it was a really tough race and uh, four really competitive candidates, too. There was really nobody in there who uh, who didn't mean business. And uh, I think uh, the guy who came in fourth even got 10 percent of the vote. So everybody brought something different. It was a really tough race. Did you go door to door a lot? Um, how about spending in the race? How how much did you spend and were you the top spender in the race, do you think? You know, my campaign wasn't actually the top spender. Uh, we did do a lot of grassroots operation. Uh, what we learned early on is that it's free to make phone calls and it's free to knock doors. Uh, so that was something that we certainly took advantage of. Uh, of course, with COVID early on in the uh, campaign cycle of uh, 2020 anyways, uh, we couldn't go door to door. Didn't feel like it was the right thing to do as we were still figuring out what the uh, COVID uh, was going to do to people. So uh, we, we reached out to folks in other ways. And uh, fortunately, with uh, 21st century technology, there's a lot that you can do. Um, but then as, as the weather started to warm up, as people started to get more comfortable with the situation, we did go door to door. And that's really how we brought it home in the primary. It just knocked a lot of doors. What was the reaction of people uh who met you at the doors? I mean, were they apprehensive? Uh, were they skittish? Were they resentful? Uh, or were they, you know, curious and supportive and friendly? You know, we took uh, necessary precautions uh, just to be respectful if, if people did have health concerns. Um, you know, we, we knocked the door, take take 10 steps back. You know, we were never within eight feet of these people, let alone six. Um, and so we just let, let people kind of indicate to us how, how comfortable they'd be with somebody knocking their door. It was, uh, a lot of folks just asked that we, uh, leave our literature right there on the porch and then they would grab it later. And, and we were good with that. Uh, we were just grateful for the opportunity to get out there and meet folks in person. Uh, with that said, there was a lot of folks who were really excited, um, to have a candidate for office coming to introduce themselves. Um, and, and we got a lot of engagement at the door. So I think that you'd be surprised with how many people were okay with having their door knocked. And those who were a little bit more apprehensive, you know, maybe they just stayed behind their door or they took a step back themselves. But uh, we just did our best to, uh, to meet people where they were. And if they were comfortable, uh, we, you know, we were happy with it. Um, and if they weren't, then, then we were just, you know, going to provide our information, leave it there on the porch and, and move on to the next house. Did you do the same thing in Sanilac County? I mean, you've you got an interesting district. Port Huron is a fairly big city, and yet you've got all this farm country in Sanilac County. Uh, how did you approach the two different sides of your district? That's right, um, and, and it's a very diverse district as far as uh, the different types of communities. Sanilac County is kind of an agglomeration of, of small cities. You've got Sandusky and Croswell and even some smaller ones uh, like, you know, Applegate or, or Palms, you know, cities that, uh, that have kind of uh, shrunk over the last couple decades. And so we just tried to get out to all of them. And uh, certainly towards the end, it was a numbers game for us, and we wanted to hit as many doors as possible. And uh, it's a lot easier to hit doors in Port Huron and Fort Gratiot than it is, you know, out in uh, in some of the townships in, in Sanilac County. Uh, but what we did was once we made it through the primary, uh, it was important to me to get out to those rural areas uh, where you're driving in between houses. Um, so I wanted to get out there and, and still meet those people. And, uh, you know, yes, I'd made it through the primary and the general looked, um, you know, fairly well in hand. Uh, but it was important to me to get out there and, and, and meet folks. You know, every every door you knock is another opportunity to meet a voter and meet somebody who you're going to represent in Lansing. And so I wanted to do that. So we spent the first really two months after the primary hitting doors specifically in rural areas. 
Um, and then as we got closer to the general, we've moved more uh, into some of the population centers like the Sanduskies and the Croswells and the Marlettes and the Port Hurons and Fort Gratiots. Uh, and by the end, we were hitting doors for the second time um, in some of those population centers. Yeah, I should have asked this question earlier, and we don't have much time. But in a nutshell, what is the Andrew Beeler story? What is your background? Sure. Um, well, uh, I was born and raised in the Port Huron area, uh, attended local schools. I graduated from high school in 2010, uh, which normally gets a pretty good reaction out of people when I say that. But uh, graduated high school when I was uh, 17 and uh, joined the Navy. I was nominated by our Congresswoman Candace Miller to attend the U.S. Naval Academy. So I started there in July of 2010, uh, graduated in 2014, and then went on to serve for five years as a surface warfare officer. I served on two different uh, U.S. warships, uh, deployed multiple times to the South and East China Sea, um, and wrapped up my five years of active duty service with a seven-and-a-half-month deployment to the Middle East. Um, so the plan was never really to get into politics. Um, I had actually hoped to uh, go into higher education and get a master's in public policy and really learn about uh, the things that I was being asked to implement while I was in the Navy. Um, but the opportunity came up to, to serve the community and use those experiences that I had gained uh, leading sailors during my time in the Navy. And, uh, and I took the chance uh, to, to jump in and, and replace Jane Hernandez, who, who had done just an incredible job for us. He's leaving some really big shoes to fill. Um, and I saw a need, so jumped in, and, and here we are. Yeah, Shane Hernandez gave up his seat early to run for Congress. Unfortunately, he lost the primary, and that created an opening for you. Uh, you still have plenty of time to get into higher education if that's what you really want to do. But what do you see as the big issues going forward when you get in the legislature? Well, I think uh, there, there's a lot, certainly. Uh, top of mind for everybody is election integrity. Uh, that, that, that has to be a process that the legislature fixes. We're, we're the, the people's house, and we need to go in there and make sure that uh, what we saw and, and the questions that have been raised, uh, we need to be have a much more airtight process, and that's on the legislature. Um, but even more important and even more time critical, I believe, is supporting small businesses who have just been decimated um, by the COVID-19 shutdowns, um, both you know earlier in, in the year and now later we're seeing small businesses being shut down again. Um, so whatever we need to do, I, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I'm looking forward to sitting down with members of the Chamber of Commerce, individual small business owners who I've talked to here in my district to figure out what is it that they need to get back on their feet. Um, I come from Port Huron, uh, which was hit really hard by the economic downturn of uh, 08, 09, and 2010. And it's been great to watch the comeback since then and to see people achieve their lifelong dream of opening up a small business in downtown Port Huron. And uh, unfortunately, all of those businesses are, are either already closed or getting very close to closing their doors permanently. And so I think that it's, it's so time critical that we get in there and address that um, because small businesses are just such an important part uh, of our state and of small communities like mine here in the 83rd District that uh, that's just top of mind for me uh, to get there and, and to go to work for those small business owners and their employees. Do you think Governor Gretchen Whitmer handled the coronavirus pandemic as skillfully as she should have? Uh, has she done everything she could? And what about the legislature's role in that? You know, I don't want to be an armchair general. Um, I, I understand that, uh, you know, 2020 uh, hindsight is, is a real thing. Um, what frustrates me is her, her, her refusal to include the legislature in the process and uh, to refuse to let government work the way it's supposed to. Uh, we have three branches. We have checks and balances four times just like these. Uh, and, and they're there to help. They're not there to hinder 
uh, our response. Uh, the idea is you have multiple people brought to the table to develop a solution, not one person, not one branch of government. So that's been my big frustration. We can talk about different policies uh, all day, and, and there are pros and cons, and anybody who says there isn't pros and cons uh, to the different policies we implement would be lying to you. But the biggest frustration is that she's completely cut out uh, the representatives of the people of Michigan, which is the legislature. And, and there's, there's really no defense of that. That's been the biggest frustration, and she refuses to, she refuses to sit down with us. Uh, the legislature has very little voice, and, uh, and, and I, I just think it's indefensible and very frustrating um, as a future legislator um, that people are going to come to me with unemployment concerns, with concerns about their small business, and at present time, I won't necessarily have a seat at the table, um, and that's unacceptable. Yeah, listen, uh, we could keep talking about this. You're in for an exciting time in Lansing as state representative from the 83rd House District. Andrew Beeler, Republican of Fort Gratiot, succeeding Shane Hernandez, who was chairman of the House Appropriations Committee. Andrew Beeler, thanks for being our guest. Thanks so much, Bill. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. To wrap things up, we are on the line with another fascinating guest. He is Patrick Outman, O-U-T-M-A-N. He's a Republican of Six Lakes in northern Montcalm County. He represents or will represent the 70th House District. This was an open seat. And he won a primary this past August and then in November won the general election. His 70th district includes, if I'm not mistaken, all of Montcalm County plus Alma, the city, and St. Louis, the city. They're almost twin cities in Gratiot County to the east of Montcalm. And all are part of five townships in Gratiot County, I believe. Is that correct, Patrick Outman? Yes, you were spot on, Bill. That is correct. Yep, all of Montcalm County and then five five townships within Gratiot, including the city of Elma and St. Louis. Right. Well, uh, you've got a pedigree uh, that uh, transcends uh, that of most of your incoming freshmen, and that is your father, Rick Outman, is a state senator, and he served in the state house before you. Uh, did he give you some uh, good advice in running for this? Absolutely. Gave me a lot of good advice. Uh, you know, cautiously warned me what I, what I had in store for me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to, uh, to working with my dad. We've always, uh, you know, worked well together, and I, I expect that trend to continue. Um, of course, I say that until we end up on opposite sides of an issue. Um, <laughs> that, that, that could be the real test and uh, where things could get interesting. So, um, you know, perhaps I'll end up grounded before my first term in office is completed. But, uh, Overall, I think it's going to be great. I think we're really going to compliment each other in our uh, respective chambers in the legislature. Okay, let me ask you, uh, you had a number of primary opponents on the Republican side. You had to win that. And then uh, tell me, how did you go about campaigning this year? I mean, in this terrible year of the coronavirus, I mean, did you go door to door? You've got a lot of rural area there. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you the top spender in the race? Maybe both. You knocked on more doors than anybody, and you spent the most, or not necessarily. No, that's that's absolutely correct. I uh, I would say without a doubt, I 
probably knocked the most doors throughout the primary as well as uh, out fundraised and outspent my opponents as well. Um, I, I will say, Bill, it was without a doubt the strangest campaign and election cycle that I've ever experienced. And uh, I've been through quite a few myself, but with this pandemic and the, and the challenges that it posed, such as the lack of voter outreach, I um, I never would have guessed what I had in store for me when I announced my candidacy a little over a year ago. Um, but however, we, we put a very detailed campaign plan and uh, we executed that step by step. Of course, we had to alter the plan a little bit given the circumstances, but, um, but yeah, you were Absolutely right. Throughout the summer, I, w I was still able to knock on thousands of doors uh, despite the circumstances. And overall, it was a great reaction from the voters in my district. I, I think with everybody being so cooped up, uh, they were just excited for the chance to talk with somebody. And um, however, I did remain cautious in the fact that I, you know, I tried not to touch anything and I would take several steps back when, when people would approach the door. But, uh, you know, aside from that, I, I implemented an aggressive mail plan as well that kind of burned my name into people's brain. Um, um, so kind of a combination of those two things that really set me apart from my opponents. Um, but again, it was uh, it was a very challenging campaign. And uh, however, we were just able to take care of business. And I, I look forward to serving the good people of the 70th district. Now, you say you have been through a number of campaigns before. I gather that was probably trying to help your father when he was running for the state house and Senate. But I don't know, maybe you've run for something before yourself or is this your first race? No, candidate. this is my this is my first race, my my first crack at uh at uh, holding public office. Um, the the number of campaigns that I've been involved with before were mostly um, my father's campaign. I've been campaigning for him since oh I would say I was about 16 years old. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, then um campaigned for a couple of other friends that have run for state house over the years. Um, but that's about the extent of my campaign experience uh, and, until uh, until now when I launched my own. Well, now, you're still pretty young. You can tell us how old you are, but uh, what is the Patrick Outman story? I mean, what did you do after you graduated from high school? Well, yeah. So, Bill, my, my background mostly stems from uh, that of the skilled trades. Uh, I'm a home builder and excavator by trade. My, my family has owned and operated a small excavating company oh, since about 1947. Uh, so I spent much of my career um, assisting my dad with, with, uh, with that. Um, aside from that, we have a, a small cattle operation on our, on our family farm here in Six Lakes. Um, limited, limited government experience. Uh, um, I've held uh, multiple positions within the Michigan House of Representatives, one being in the clerk's office. Uh, aside from that, I, I did some in-district work for, for Representative Jim Lauer, my, my predecessor in the House here. Um, so that's a little bit about my background, mostly that skilled trades, though. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this is my first time that I have ever personally run for public office. Yeah, your father was a wrestler and a wrestling coach, I believe. Do you have any wrestling experience in your background? Oh, without a doubt, Bill. I think my <laughs> my dad would disown me if I didn't wrestle. So, yes, I grew up wrestling uh, uh, throughout my youth and throughout high school, and uh, we still stay involved a little bit. Yeah, we had a guest earlier in the program, T.C. Clements, one of your fellow freshmen incoming. Yes. He's from uh, Bedford Temperance, uh, Temperance yeah. Bedford, the Kicking Mules, and they're famous for their wrestling teams down there. That they are. They used to be uh, quite the powerhouse um, back when I was younger, and I don't know if that's still the case. But, yeah, T.C. and I, we've actually discussed that a little bit. I think he has a, a son that might wrestle as well. Yeah, you have experience, as you say, in Lansing, in addition to your excavation contracting work up in northern Montcalm County. 
Uh, do you think that's going to help you? Did you pick up some uh, really good information and insights into the way the legislature works, uh, working in Lansing? Absolutely. Uh, my time, particularly my time in the in the uh, the clerk's office, I kind of got a behind behind the scenes view of Lansing and how that operates. And so, uh, so I, I think I'm very much in a position to uh, really go down there and <clears throat> excuse me, hit the ground running from day one. Um, and, uh, you know, get get some of the necessary things done for my district. Yeah, the clerk of the House, uh, Gary Randall, is actually from not far away from you, Elwell. I Correct. Think, yeah, he's, he's actually County. one of my constituents and uh, just happened to swear me in yesterday, officially. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Well, yeah. let me ask you, what were the issues that people accosted you with uh, at the doors when you went around uh, knocking on doors? I mean, what are, what were people talking about in this most terrible of years, the uh, COVID-19 year? Yeah, I would say, you know, Bill, um, it was a campaign that was dominated by the the pandemic that we're experiencing. And uh, so many times at the door, uh, I would stress my priority of uh, assisting small businesses following the economic fallout of COVID-19. You know, and that's certainly going to be a top priority, um, as well as continuing to make Michigan an, an attractive state for new businesses. But but beyond that, there were, there will certainly be a uh, a focus on infrastructure. I like to stress that a lot. Providing a, a long term road funding plan will be a top priority, uh, along with rural broadband, which really came to light during this pandemic. Um, as you saw, many people working from home as well as students learning from home. Just the lack of access to high speed internet became a real barrier. So that is one issue that repeatedly came up at the doors as well. Um, but again, recovering from the pandemic, economically speaking, is, is going to be the top objective. Uh, you know, once we get the economy turned around, one of my main priorities is to put in place a, a long-term road funding plan without raising taxes. And, and to achieve that, we, we need to prioritize spending within our state budget to, to meet this goal. And I also want to continue to address the uh, skilled trade shortage in Michigan. That's something I campaign heavily on. Um, currently, we have thousands of skilled trades vacancies within our state. And as a member of a small business within the skilled trades, it's an issue that's near and dear to me, and I and I personally understand how <clears throat> how hard it is to find workers with the right skill sets. Um, ensuring a more skilled workforce will help our economy thrive. There's there's no question about that. Um, so I would say that uh, those are some of the top issues that that came up uh, throughout the campaign over the summer and and, and throughout the fall. Patrick Alman, did you find that? A lot of the people you met at the doors were angry at the way the legislature and Governor Gretchen Whitmer handled the COVID-19 crisis in the state. I mean, do you think that people gave credit uh, to the governor and legislature in the steps that were taken or not? Uh, I would say it was a a mixed reaction between the two. Overall, I would say most people were unhappy with the way that the governor handled the situation. Um, just the, the one-size-fits-all approach to COVID-19, um, you know, we're, we didn't really um, have a, as tough a go of it as many other parts of the state. And so I think that many residents felt that we were being uh, unfairly treated in, in terms of the response. And so I, uh, I did... Um, I certainly heard that many times throughout the campaign as well. Yeah, listen, uh, we could go on talking about this uh, forever. Honestly, there's so many things to talk about, but we're out of time. And Patrick Altman, Republican of Six Lakes, who will represent the 70th House District. 
beginning in January 2021. Thanks for being our guest, Patrick Altman. Absolutely. Thanks for the time, Bill. We'll be back next week with still more.